Hey, what's going on, Who That Nation? It is yours truly, TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And welcome to another edition of the State of the Saints podcast. And thank you, wherever you are, wherever you may be in the world, for checking out the podcast. I really do appreciate it. On this edition, we're going to talk about a couple more New Orleans Saints added to the Pro Bowl. Odell Beckham Jr., sexual assault? And we're going to talk about how Antonio Brown continuously seems like he has lost his damn mind. But first, let's go ahead and start with the Pro Bowl. If you have not heard, Alvin Kamara, as well as Larry Warford, has been added to the Pro Bowl this week. Um, that is the third offensive lineman for the New Orleans Saints to be added to the Pro Bowl. And th they round out 11 New Orleans Saints players added to the Pro Bowl roster. And I know a lot of people in the Houdan Nation probably feel the same way that I do. It just makes you even more angry at the fact that the New Orleans Saints did not get past the wild card round. This team has so much talent. This team has so much ability. And they basically just squandered it all away because they didn't play some of their best football. I mean, but I'm probably about to say something that is going to make a lot of people upset in the Houdan Nation. And I know... For the last couple of weeks, people have been questioning my fandom in the New Orleans Saints. Well, I guess you're going to have to do it again because me personally, I don't feel as if Alvin Kamara deserves to be in a Pro Bowl. Look, Alvin Kamara is an incredible player. I think we all can agree to that. Alvin Kamara is spectacular. Since he came in the league from in the third round out of the University of Tennessee and joined the New Orleans Saints team, he has been a, a fire starter on the team. He's been a guy who has been electrifying us with great plays, great agility, great balance, you know, his, his ability to bounce off tackles, the way to catch out of the backfield. It's not much that Alvin Kamara couldn't do. But this season, I, I started to see a little bit of a slip in his production. Now, people have been saying that he was hurt all throughout the season. I think we can, uh, you know, agree that he was hurt. But I, I question the effort that I saw out of Alvin Kamara this season. I mean, Alvin Kamara was going out of bounds way too much I mean way too much he wasn't fighting for extra yards I didn't see that burst I didn't see that wiggle um I didn't see a guy trying to break free from tackles like I did the first two seasons he was in the NFL and you know you have to ask the question why is this happening was it the injury or just the fact that he's one of those guys that is starting to read his own press clippings I mean you look at the success that he had I mean th this guy basically came out of nowhere you think about what Sean Payton said at training camp. I mean, he compared Elvin Kamara to Marshall Falk. I mean, that is a huge honor. I mean, people from New Orleans, you know about Marshall Falk. I mean, he he's from New Orleans. He went to my alma mater, Carver High School. So you know what Marshall Falk can do, catch it out of the backfield, running between the tackles, and the rest is history. I mean, he was out there taking the league by storm. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, really started to realize who he was when he stepped up in that uh, divisional round game uh, in the playoffs against the Minnesota Vikings, you know, the same game with the Minneapolis Miracle happened. I mean, he caught that, uh, you know, back shoulder fade from Drew Brees in the back of the end zone to give the Saints the go-ahead touchdown. So, you know, he did some amazing things. And now it's like, okay, you see him on commercials. Uh, you see him on, you know, Madden. You know I mean, you see him doing stuff like that, all of a sudden, the production slips, and, and you're wondering, like, is this guy reading his press clippings? I mean, is, does he feel like he's made it? Does he feel like he has anything to prove? And, you know, I have a problem with players 
who, you know, when people sing their praises, I mean, you, you don't say that, uh, you know, the media is crazy or fans are crazy when they're saying how good you are. But all of a sudden, you know, when people question your, you know, your, your ability or question your heart or your passion for the game, now all of a sudden people hating. I mean, you can't have it both ways there, Alvin Kamara. I just want to see production out of him. I think we all can agree to who that nation. He left a lot on the field to be desired, and I don't feel like he deserves to be in a Pro Bowl. I mean, I, I looked at the roster, and I, I can think about several other players in the NFC that have put up better numbers than he has, and, you know, I, I just don't feel like he deserves it. I mean, he went like nine straight weeks without even scoring a touchdown. And, and you look at some of those games, you know, against the San Francisco 49ers, uh, you know, uh, against some of these other teams. I mean, Drew Brees throws Alvin Kamara the ball in the backfield. I mean, he goes down on the first tackle. You throw him the ball towards the sideline, he backpedals out out, <laughs> out of bounds. I mean, it was one play in a wild card round. Drew Brees throws him the football. He started backpedaling, uh, even though he could have had an opportunity to turn up field to get some extra yards. So I'm just wondering, like, okay, this is a contract year coming up. He realizes he got hurt. So he wants to play smart, so he kind of shut it down because he's looking at the bigger picture, which is, man, I got to get paid. And I understand that everybody wants to get paid. They deserve to get paid. I mean, these guys are putting their bodies and their lives on the line. But you're paid to play football, man. I mean, right now, you're out there playing. You may not be getting the money that you think that you deserve. I mean, none of them, honestly, get the money they deserve. But still, you have to go out there and you got to produce. So I just feel like this was – Based on nostalgia, that's what this was. You know, uh, him being selected to the Pro Bowl, I think he's just, uh, you know, he's become a household name. He's become one of those running backs that people like and love to see. And I think they selected him just because of that. And it just shows you how big of a joke the Pro Bowl uh, selections are. I mean, you think about this. You have Andrus Pete in the Pro Bowl, a guy who was hurt for six weeks. He broke his arm and was out for six weeks. He's in the Pro Bowl. You have Larry Warford. Larry Warford, I mean, he played okay, but this wasn't his best season uh, at the guard position. But you leave out people like Ryan Ramchek, who is ranked according to Pro Football Focus, the number one right tackle in football. And you leave out uh, Demario Davis, a guy who was a first-team All-Pro. And also Ryan Ramchek is a first-team All-Pro. So I just feel like this stuff, you know, this stuff is that I'm watching as far as the, the Pro Bowl selection is an absolute joke. And I think we all can agree to that. I mean, it's nothing but a joke. It's nothing but a popularity contest. I mean, it's just honestly what the NFL feels that people want to see. Uh, they feel like, you know, Demario Davis isn't one of the most popular names, like a guy like a Bobby Wagner or a Kendrick. You know, nobody really knows who Demario Davis actually is, except for the people in New Orleans. That's the only people that knows who he is. I guess that's the way that the NFL thinks. And they just don't want to give credit to Ryan Ramchick being – uh, one of the best right tackles in football, if not the best. This guy does nothing but not give up sacks. I mean, I think maybe since he's been in the league, he's given up like three sacks. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible for a guy, uh, you know, as young as Ryan Ramchek is. And, and you can make an argument to say that as soon as Ryan Ramchek came into the league, he was one of the best right tackles in all of football. I mean, he came out of Wisconsin, which in my opinion is one of the best schools for offensive linemen. I mean, you look at people like, you know, Travis Fredericks out there for the Dallas Cowboys. And you look at somebody like Ryan Ramchick, I mean, that's all they do at Wisconsin anyway is run the football. So 
you have no choice but to be a good offensive lineman. But I just think that when you look at the NFL and, and what they actually want, I, I think that had a lot to do with Alvin Kamara being selected to the Pro Bowl. But, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and continue to hate on him, okay? <laughs> I know people are like, man, TJ, you hate, man. You hate no Alvin Kamara, man. Why you don't like Alvin, man? I, I love Alvin Kamara, but, I mean, you got to call a spade a spade. Like, even the biggest Alvin Kamara fan will tell you that he didn't leave it all on the field this past season. And that's something that's very, very disappointing. And that's something that the Saints have to look at. You know, going into a contract year, I mean, you have to wonder to yourself, like, what's going to happen? I mean, we see these cases all the time. When guys get the big contracts, all of a sudden their production starts to slip. I mean, let me take you to Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. Y'all know the deal, man. I mean, it was all on the news. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he went to Mexico to train because he was trying to negotiate a contract with the Dallas Cowboys. He ended up getting that big contract out there in the Big D, and all of a sudden he just shut down his production, man. I mean, he wasn't the same running back, running between the tackles. He wasn't fighting for extra yards, none of that stuff, you know. There, there's a saying uh, by a great boxer by the name of Marvin Hagler, and Marvin Hagler says, you know, it's, it's hard to get punched in the face and wake up and train when you're sleeping on silk sheets. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, sometimes when people, you know, start to feel like they made it, when they feel like, oh, man, I got this bread, man, you know, life is good, all of a sudden you think about it, man. Do I really want to experience this pain? Do I really want to be hurt? You know, you think about that type of stuff, you know. So hopefully it's not the case with Alvin Kamara. I think he's built a little bit uh, better than I feel like Ezekiel Elliott is. I think you kind of see some of the, the antics of Ezekiel Elliott when he first came into the league, you kind of, you know, saw this coming, in my opinion. You know, you think about some of the sophomore antics that he did. Uh, you know, you, you can say to yourself, like, okay, man, I understand this. But when it, when it comes to Alvin Kamara, uh, I, I'm not sure about that. But it is something that the Saints possibly can use in negotiation for leverage. And that's something that you don't want to do. I mean, you want to be like a Michael Thomas or something like that. You know, every single year his production has increased. And when he signed this $100 million contract, he told Mickey Loomis, he said, um, I'm going to come back and we're going to negotiate again. So that tells you right there how hungry he is, how passionate he is about the game, and how bad he wants it. And I'm asking a question right now, uh, watching 2019's Alvin Kamara, I'm asking him, how much does he want it? How much does he want it? That's the only question I have for him. But he's a pro bowler for the third time in his career. Uh, we're moving on to Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> Odell, man. Odell, the homeboy, man. A native of New Orleans. Went to uh, Newman High School. Uh, you know, one of the most prestigious high schools in, in New Orleans. You know, you got uh, all the Drew Brees children uh, go to Newman High School. Uh, you had the Mannings. They, they went to high school. Peyton Eli. And now uh, the son of Cooper Manning, he's the quarterback uh, for Newman High School. So, I mean, it's pretty prestigious. And Odell Beckham Jr. is one of the guys that attended the school as well. Well, Odell Beckham, you know, he went down to New Orleans uh, for the national championship game, the LSU versus Clemson national championship game. And once again, congratulations to the LSU Tigers. Yes, sir. First time since 2007, they are the national champions. And, of course, Odell Beckham, being an alumni of LSU, he has a lot of pride. I mean, he has a lot of passion for his university. He was on the sidelines. You know, he was cheering. He had the megaphone from the band director. He was screaming at the crowd. 
you know, getting the crowd all hyped and stuff like that. I mean, if you can put this guy's, uh, you know, level of intensity and passion uh, from a scale to zero to 100, I mean, this guy was on 101 out there. That, that's the championship game. <laughs> but Odell Beckham Jr., you know, he did some very weird and just – I just got to call it for what it is, stupid things. I mean, he did some very stupid things out there. Number one, he goes out after the game, after the confetti is coming down and, 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 you know, the LSU Tigers have become the national champions. He starts to go into his pockets and starts passing around money to the LSU Tiger football players. (sighs) Yes, folks, I'm telling you what he actually did. He – an NFL player, reached into his pocket and started to pass out money to student athletes. I don't think I need to tell you what went wrong here. I don't think I need to tell you what is wrong here. The fact of the matter is this, Odell Beckham Jr. put his his school in a precarious position, and I feel like it was one of the most selfish acts i ever seen in my entire life. Here you have a guy who went to the school, And he's happy that these young guys on this LSU Tiger team won a national championship and brought pride to his university. Okay, cool. But the problem is, it's not about you, Odell. Your time has passed. When you was at LSU, people praised you and and said all type of great things about you. You had an NFL future. You were one of the best wide receivers at LSU. You know, your time has passed. Now it's time to focus on the Jamar Chases and the Justin Jeffersons and you know, in the Joe Burrows of the world. You know, like, it's their time to shine. It's not about you. And I feel like this situation wasn't about the kids. It, it wasn't about them. It was about him. It was about him drawing attention to himself. And that's a, that is something that I just don't understand about some of these these NFL players. Like, what is it about this, this thirst for attention that you just seek by just doing ridiculous things? I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. finds himself once again in the news for doing something that is just completely asinine, just completely ridiculous, and he just took all of the attention off of the LSU Tiger National Championship team because now everybody is talking about the action that he's done and not the action that they done becoming national champions. And if that wasn't worse, he goes into the locker room and you have a Superdome security guard who walks into the locker room and sees that some of the LSU Tiger football players are smoking victory cigars after their championship win. And he's trying to basically chastise those football players and tell them to put out the cigarettes. All of a sudden, Odell Beckham Jr. throws a piece of paper at the ear of the security guard and then proceeds to slap the security guard on the butt. And now he has a sexual assault charge and simple battery towards him. I mean, I just don't get this dude, man. Like, why are you doing this these type of things, man? Like, you are supposed to be setting the example. I mean, what is he, like, 24, 25 years old? These are 18, 19-year-old, impressionable, future NFL uh, talent, and they see an NFL talent walk into the locker room and just do stuff like that. You're setting a bad example for them. What do you think they're going to see? Oh, man, Odell, man, he can do what he want to do. And I feel like that's something that uh, Odell has struggled with his entire life. I mentioned Newman High School. I mean, if you know that, you know, if you're from New Orleans, you understand that Newman High School is one of the most prestigious high schools in all of Louisiana. I mean, honestly, all of the country. And 
I mean, you can't be half stepping going to Newman High School. I mean, so apparently Odell Beckham Jr.'s family, his mom and his dad, you know, they made pretty good money in order for him to go to that school. And I feel like he's one of those guys that probably throughout his whole entire lifetime got what he wanted, did what he wanted, and there was no type of ramifications behind it. There was no type of repercussions behind what he was doing. You know, he will always slide. People will always let him through because of who he was, the talent that he possessed, and I feel like that is transitioning to his adulthood. Now he feels like he can do every single thing that he wants to, and he gets, like, no backlash behind it. And, and it's sad. You know, like, this guy, like I said, he's 24, 25 years old. You would think that he would try to mature and, and try to, you know, better himself. But he always finds himself in the news for some of these, these childish things, man. And I think that Odell Beckham Jr. needs to look at himself, man, really look at himself in a mirror and think about what type of person he wants to be. Because right now, he's looking like a man-child. He gots to do better. And honestly, you can't just be that thirsty for attention that you're willing to take the attention of people that actually deserve it at the time. You know, that's one thing that I hate. I hate when people take the attention off the, the person and put it on themselves. Like, let's just say, for example, you know, if, if your best friend gets married and then, you know, you introduced him you know, to his wife or something like that. You just start going on and on like, oh, if it wasn't for me, y'all wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for me, y'all would have got set up. You know, like, it's not about you, man. Like, just wish them congratulations. I love y'all. Then go sit down somewhere. That's exactly what Odell Beckham Jr. should have did, but he didn't. And I, I think as of right now, according to sources, the, the Superdome uh, security guard decided to drop the charges against Odell Beckham Jr., which, you know, I feel like, you know, it's helping out Odell Beckham Jr., in my opinion, because now I don't feel like he's going to learn his lesson. He's going to do it again. You know, I was looking at this documentary. Uh, you know, I know it's a little bit of a transition, but I was looking at this documentary on the uh, life of Aaron Hernandez that's available on Netflix. And, you know, they were talking about Aaron Hernandez and how he has so much talent. And he ended up, you know, leaving Bristol, Connecticut to go down to the University of Florida. And one night, he, along with Tim Tebow and a couple of more Florida players, they went to this bar. And Aaron Hernandez was underage at this time, but he ended up getting to the bar, and the bartender was serving him drinks because, of course, of who he was. And all of a sudden, it was time to go, and the bartender decided to give Aaron Hernandez his tab. It was time to pay up. Well, Aaron Hernandez didn't want to pay. And instead of paying, he ended up hitting the bartender in the ear, shattering his eardrum. And <laughs> you would think that Aaron Hernandez would get in trouble because of that? Absolutely not. He got in absolutely no trouble. And a lot of people feel like that was the reason why he felt entitled. That's the reason why he felt the way that he did. Now, I know that's comparing apples to oranges when it comes to what Aaron Hernandez did versus what Odell Beckham is doing right now. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's all about entitlement. I mean, it's all about it. And, and you can't just, you know, just walk around, just say, oh, I'm Odell Beckham Jr. You know, I'm a football player. I play for the Cleveland Browns. Everybody know me, the one-hand catch. You can't use that, you know, and, and, and treat people the way that he treated that dome security guard. I mean, that's still a person at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm just completely disgusted at what Odell Beckham Jr. did. I think he needs to carry himself a little bit better. Hopefully this experience can teach him a lesson, but as history has taught us, 
Probably not. Speaking of people who need to learn lessons, let's talk about Antonio Brown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Antonio, 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 man. Like, you know, last week when I did a podcast, I really went off on Antonio Brown, which I feel like it was justifiably so. I mean, his actions, um, you know, with the police and his children outside and talking to the mother of his child, cursing out all in front of the children. I mean, I, I really went in on him. But now, you know, when I think about some of the things that's going on with Antonio Brown, I think that is really, really sad. You know the sad thing about this, who that nation and anybody that's listening to this sports podcast, you know what the sad thing about this is? The sad thing about this is, folks, is that I'm pretty sure if something was to happen to Antonio Brown and he donates his brain to science, he's probably going to say he has CTE. You know, I, I still talk about this, and people say I'm a conspiracy theorist, and, and in some ways I am. I do feel like in some ways the NFL is rigged. I do feel like Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't the lone assassin that assassinated John F. Kennedy. I don't feel like James Earl Ray was the one lone assassin that murdered Martin Luther King Jr. And I do feel that Antonio Brown's downward spiral came because of a violent hit by Vontaze Burfick in a playoff game when he knocked out Antonio Brown cold because Antonio Brown wasn't like this before that hit. I mean, yeah, he was a guy that celebrated in the end zone, but I'm talking about he just completely did a, a complete 180. I'm, I'm telling you, man, like he completely changed after that hit. I'm pretty sure if he was to donate his brain to science, you know, and I hope this is way, way down the line, I'm pretty sure they're going to show you that he has signs of CTE. Because there's no way in the world a, a, a well-functioning individual would make some of the decisions that he's making. I mean, this guy had chosen social media over making over $30 million. I mean, this guy cares so much about what people think about him. You know, he cares so much about getting that type of attention. He's willing to sacrifice every single thing that he has in order for people to look at him or pay attention to him. And now... I guess the chickens are starting to come home to roost because now, according to sources, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, has decided to drop Antonio Brown until Antonio Brown goes to receive counseling. And I think that this is a good move, and I think it can be a wake-up call, but it probably won't be. You know, I, I have mixed emotions about this. I think about this two ways. You know, first off, uh, I think about Drew Rosenhaus. I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, Drew Rosenhaus, I mean, he is a hot shot agent. I mean, just completely hot shot. He has, he has represented some of the most well-known names in, in football. You know, probably the most notable is T.O. And, you know, he is a guy that goes, you know, I mean, he goes to war with his clients. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of respect for him. You know, they say he talk a lot. They say that he's arrogant, he's cocky. But, He's really aggressive, and he gets the job done for his clients, which he should. I mean, if you have an agent, you want him to go to war for you. Anyway, he drops Antonio Brown, and some people have mixed emotions about this. They look at it one way. You know, this could be a possible wake-up call for Antonio Brown to, to see that he's actually, you know, starting to hit rock bottom, and maybe he'll go get help. And then you have other people who feel like, you know, Drew Rosenhaus is basically dropping him, or, you know, it's because he's not – making him money anymore. I mean, he is an agent. I mean, if Antonio Brown makes money, that means that Drew Rosenhaus makes money. So if 
Antonio Brown is not making money in the NFL. I mean, I guess people would say that Drew Rosenhaus has no need for him anymore. So uh, people can look at that on two, on two ways. But uh, the, the thing about it is Antonio Brown really needs some help. I think we all can agree to that. Uh, I think that this guy really needs to go sit down on somebody's couch because even if he never plays a down in the National Football League again, he still has to live his life, continue to, you know, live on this earth. And it would be sad to see, you know, Antonio Brown possibly be like some of these other guys out here, you know, like a, a junior Seau that just hit, you know, so low in their lives that they decide to take it. I mean, I wouldn't want to see that from Antonio Brown. I mean, you can have your opinion about him, especially me being a Saints fan. I didn't like how, uh, you know, he talked about the Saints after he had his workout. I didn't like the way that he talked about the Oakland Raiders on his way out. I didn't like the way that he wore a mink coat and didn't go to war for the guys that was in the trenches with him for the Pittsburgh Steelers in that Week 17 game. He decided to stand on the sidelines. I didn't like that at all. But I think that this guy really needs some help. And I, I hope he goes out there and he seeks it, man. Because he needs a peace of mind. I mean, that that's just facts. You know, like him or not, he needs peace of mind. It's obvious this guy is not well. And, you know, we could continuously, you know, just critique this guy. And, and, you know, and just say, oh, man, he's crazy, he's crazy. But it's starting to get really, really sad now. And I think I said this before. Um, we talk about this all the time. You know, you talk about muting people. We talk about muting Harvey Weinstein. We talk about muting R. Kelly. We talk about muting Bill Cosby. I think that we need to mute Antonio Brown. I think that we need to stop looking at him on social media. I think that we need to stop paying attention to this guy because I feel like that's the only way that he is going to try to get help. I think when people are paying attention to his, his antics and you know, looking at his Facebook lives and, and and the media is basically reporting his tweets. I feel like it, it does more harm to him than good because he knows, okay, I don't even have to be in the NFL and I can be on the news, or I can I can I don't even have to be out there on the field and I can just take over. You know, I can just take over. So you know, it, it just people just need to uh, just completely mute him and don't pay him any attention, and hopefully that will be the wake up call that he need in order for him to receive help. But I, I wish him all the best, man, because, once again, this is just getting absolutely sad, and it's, it's like a, a train wreck that we're all watching in real time. But now that all that's out the way, we do have two games this weekend. We have the AFC and the NFC Championship game, and I'm about to give my predictions on that. So without further ado, somebody play that ESPN music for me real quick. Yes, sir. The first game, the AFC Championship game, it is the Tennessee Titans taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this game right here, I'm pretty sure nobody thought that this was going to be the AFC Championship game to determine who was going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. But here we go. You have the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that has a high-powered offense, led by their young quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have improved their defense from last year to this year, and they're really ready to make that run. And then you have the Tennessee Titans, a team that nobody expected to be in this position. I mean, they kind of remind you of the 07 New York football giants, man. You know, kind of, you know, came into to the, uh, the NFL playoffs and just took it by storm. 
I mean, they're led by Derek Henry, their running back, a guy that nobody seems to have the answer to. He has three straight games over 180 yards rushing, the NFL record. So the question on everybody's mind is, who is going to win this football game? In my opinion, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this football game. Look, I understand the Tennessee Titans beat them when they played them in a regular season, but I think we all can agree that the, the regular season and the postseason are just two different beasts. I like the Tennessee Titans. I like the passion. I like the way that they play defense. I like the way they're running the football. I like Ryan Tannehill has turned the corner in his career. You know, I, I like everything about these guys, but the problem is I just think that they're too dependent on Derrick Henry. And when you're going up against a high-powered offense like the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have to throw the football. If you look at the last two playoff games, Ryan Tannehill has totaled 160 yards passing in those games. He hasn't even thrown for 100 yards in either one of those games, okay? He can buy for 160. I think when you're going up against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have to put points on the board. They showed us last week they came back 24 points down and they put 51 points on the Houston Texans. So that shows you right there how quickly this team can strike. So the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this game. I think that it's going to be pretty close because I respect the heck out of Tennessee Titans defense. I think the defense can keep them in the game, but I think it's going to be too much Patrick Mahomes and too much Kansas City Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. And finally, the NFC Championship game, we got the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Green Bay Packers. Now, the last time these teams played, the San Francisco 49ers beat the brakes off the Green Bay Packers. I mean, this game wasn't even close. I think it was like 37-8, to 8, and the 49ers just imposed their will. They played that game in Levi Stadium, and that is the home of the San Francisco 49ers. The Green Bay Packers, you know, they're coming off a big win in Lambeau against the Seattle Seahawks, a depleted Seattle Seahawks team that had deal with, dealt with injuries all throughout the season. Uh, you know, you look at this team, the Green Bay Packers, and you wonder to yourself, how good is this team? How good are they really? I mean, you look at their schedule. They, they really have not been tested by any team this season, in my opinion. I mean, even when they played the Kansas City Chiefs, they played against Matt Moore. They didn't play against Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes were hurting that game. So I feel like they kind of got off scot-free. I just don't feel like they've been tested. And I look at the, the San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers have been tested. I mean, the last part of their schedule, I mean, playing against the Ravens, playing against the Packers, playing against the Saints. I mean, they smell like smoke because they've been through fire. And I just feel like the San Francisco 49ers are going to win this football game because I feel like if on paper, and as far as coaching and as far as preparation, I feel like the San Francisco 49ers are just a better football team than the Green Bay Packers. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is not the Aaron Rodgers of old. I mean, we can talk about, you know, how great he is because he is. Because, But at the same time, he has not been the same guy this entire season. I mean, he has been pretty much a butt driver, a facilitator, a game manager. I mean, it's really been on the legs of Aaron Jones. The, the, way to, the reason why the Green Bay Packers have been generating the type of success that they have. I feel like the San Francisco 49ers are going to win this game. We seen last week that they want to run the football. One drive alone, they had eight straight running plays, and then that trickled off into the next drive. They had 12 consecutive running plays. It's no surprise that this team wants to run the football. 
They have running backs by committee, three running backs, where I feel like a lot of teams need to start doing. The San Francisco 49ers, this is what they want to do. They want to hit you in the mouth. They want to impose their will, and they want to play good defense. And I just don't think the Green Bay Packers are there yet. I feel like the Green Bay Packers, uh, they're, they're on a rise, but I just don't see them beating the San Francisco 49ers. So there you have it, folks. You have the Kansas City Chiefs versus the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 54. But I would like to hear from you. Who do you think is going to win the NFC and AFC championship games? Who do you think is going to represent the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl? Please let me know. But this has been the State of the Saints podcast. Once again, my name is TJ Jones. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com, search State of the Saints podcast. Also, Facebook, facebook.com, search State of the Saints podcast. On Twitter at SOTS Podcast 8. Instagram at TJAY Jones underscore. And please check out all of the State of the Saints podcast audio podcast available on iTunes, Spotify, at iHeartRadio.com. Till next time, all I got to say is, who that?